Welcome to the Senya Happy Hour, where you get one hour of learning in less than 30 minutes. Hi, listeners. First of all, thank you for listening to our podcast. Can I ask a favor? If you like this podcast, can you A, tell a friend, and B, leave us a review on iTunes? We at Senya truly believe that the more people who listen to our podcast, the more we can continue to live our mission and advocate and support to our students with learning differences. So please spread the word and don't forget to leave that review. Today's conversation is with Dr. Lorea Martinez-Perez, who is an award-winning founder of Heart and Mind Consulting, a company dedicated to helping schools and organizations integrate social-emotional learning in their practices, products, and learning communities. Today, we discuss what part emotions play in learning and how we can build relational trust with our students. We also talk about Dr. Martinez's latest book, Teaching with the Heart in Mind, and learn what that acronym H-E-A-R-T stands for in regards to social-emotional learning. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now, on to the show. Hello, Dr. Martinez, and welcome to our podcast. Good morning, Laurie. It's so great to be here. It's great having you. You're an author, consultant, and researcher in social-emotional learning. What got you interested in this area? Yeah, so uh, long story short, but I, um, I'm a former special education teacher and work with neurodiverse students for several years. And I started a doctoral program. And during that time, I decided to switch my focus and work as uh, in the data and assessment field. So really looking at uh, student achievement data and helping schools to use that data to inform their instruction. And during that time, it was the, um, I had the chance to choose my topic for my doctoral dissertation. And because my background was in special ed and this focus on the student achievement side, I realized, wait a minute, there are this set of skills that we are not paying attention to. That uh, in, in my work in special education, I had been teaching students so much of what I know today is social emotional learning, which is uh, abilities to cope um, in general education classrooms and also you know, being able to engage with what it means to be a student that has a different set of skills. So anyway, uh, so I decided I had this intuition that we had these skills that we were missing and that's what I focused my work for my doctoral work. And I found the social emotional learning field. I fell in love with it. And that's what I've been doing since I finished my doctoral studies. Fantastic. I love that you were a special education teacher, like so much of our audience, right? Um, Can you tell us basically a simple question? I think most of us kind of know the answer to this, but how are a student's emotions connected to learning? Yes, that's a really good question. So they are connected in different ways. The, The first one that I would share is that in the past, we used to believe that emotions were separate from cognitive processing. 
And from the latest research that we have in effective neuroscience, we have learned that emotions are actually part and are involved in major cognitive processing, like making decisions, learning new concepts, being able to pay attention to new information. So the idea that students have to leave the, their emotions outside the door when they go into the classroom is obsolete. We know that educators need to engage the emotions of the learner in order for meaningful learning to occur. At the same time, emotions drive our attention. So if things are presented in classrooms that we are not interesting to us, it's gonna be so much harder to pay attention and, and really engage with the content. So emotions can serve as a vehicle for meaningful learning when educators are engaging those emotions in the learning process. Hmm. And yet many, many educators are resistant to actually the teaching of social emotional learning in the classroom. Why do you think that is? Um, I think that th there is a misunderstanding of what social emotional learning is. And I know that I've been a, a teacher and that has happened to me also when a new concept or something new is presented to you, there is a certain level of resistance. And that may come from just being uncomfortable with doing something that we are not used to. Uh, maybe feeling fearful that we are going to make a mistake or that we're not going to know how to do this effectively with our students. So there's a certain um, part, there's a certain aspect of vulnerability that comes with doing something new. But I think that when schools approach that process as this is something we are doing as a learning community, teachers engage with this process, we are gonna learn as we do, is very different. And I think it creates the space for teachers to engage with social emotional learning in a way that is supportive and it's safe for them to, um, to implement and learn as they are doing it. Thanks, and yesterday I received your newsletter and I read an article you had written titled Understanding Resistance to SEL. Um, and you broke that resistance down into three levels, which was, I don't get it. I don't like it. And I don't like you. <laughs> which I, <laughs> I loved. I just thought the way you broke it down was brilliant. And um, I'd love if you could just briefly share this with our listeners. Sure. So there are these three uh, different kinds of resistance um, that you mentioned. The first one, I don't, um, I, I, I don't like it. It has to do with a lack of information or lack of facts. So if you know that um, if you are working with teachers or if you are noticing that resistance in yourself, something that you may need is additional information, right? Maybe you need to read the research or maybe read about how SCL is implemented in the classroom, maybe watch some videos of teachers doing it so you can have a sense for what that looks like. Right, so that's one level. The second level is what I would say it's an emotional roadblock. You are feeling fearful or embarrassed or um, afraid of this process. So your resistance comes from an emotional place. And if you know that that's happening, that's a, a, a time for you to 
as an educator to look at interpret your own emotions and say, okay, wait a minute, if I'm feeling this, what is the information? What is the data that these emotions are trying to tell me? In SEL, we talk about emotions as data, information that our body is uh, sending us because there's something that it's important to us, something um, that we need to pay attention to. So if we pay attention to those emotions, we might understand, oh, where is that emotional roadblock? Where is that coming from? And, and generally when change management is being done in schools, we tend to only pay attention to that first level of data, but not so much to the emotional side. And, and that's one of the reasons why many initiatives in schools like education reform or um, initiatives for innovation fail because they don't attend to that emotional side of change. The third level, which is the hardest, is I don't like you. And that means that there's a resistance to the individual or the, uh, the organization that is leading the change. So for, a, for example, uh, teachers may resist a principal uh, trying to implement SCL or trying to organize the school to implement SCL if that person may not have been supported in the past or maybe if there's no follow through, right? There could be an array of reasons why you are resisting that authority. And if you are the, the, the person leading the change, it's important that you use kind of like all the, the strategies you have in your toolbox to build the trust with the community and with the teachers uh, so you can do that effectively. And that applies to, to students, right? If you, as a teacher, you are noticing that your students have resistance to maybe a change in the schedule or a change in how you are doing your classroom routines, that framework can serve you as well because you can see you can interpret where that resistance is coming from and then address it knowing the reason behind it instead of just maybe making a different decision or, or going in a different direction without really deeping or having a deeper understanding of, of where, where, is the, where that resistance comes from. Yeah, I, I just thought that was so interesting. I think we, we always think that if someone is resisting something, it's always because they don't understand it. And so we try to give them the facts and just keep loading on the facts on why we need to make that change. Um, but you're saying that it's deeper than that. It could be deeper than that. It, the second two levels is more the emotional impact that we need to explore as well. Exactly, exactly. So I think that once you are able to um, look at, okay, where is this coming from, then your, your actions can align with that origin, those reasons. Otherwise, it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're missing the opportunity to work with that resistance. The other thing that I would say is that in any change process, resistance is a is almost like a healthy part of the process. So many times when we are engaged in that process, we take it very personally. And we think that, oh, it's, it's kind of like them, whoever them is against us. And actually when uh, groups of educators or students show that resistance, that is an opportunity to really have deeper conversations about what's working and what's not, 
And what are some things that you can do to move forward as a community, co-creating that space together instead of being a you know top-down um, process? Yeah, thanks. So tell us about relational trust. Yes, thank you for asking that question. So relationships are a, such an important process in uh, nurturing healthy develop, development in students. And I know that effective teachers already know this. Effective teachers have been building meaningful and, and supportive relationships with students for a long, long time. What I think has happened now is that we have the research that shows how much impact actually those relationships have on students and relationships can even um, alterate the genetic makeup for students. So when you think about students that have, that have experienced uh, adverse childhood um, experiences, what is known as A's, as, as child or, or, or young adults, um, when they have those positive and supportive relationships, those are protective factors for those students who have experienced adversity. So I think that it is emphasizing even more the importance of having adults that are there for students and for students to uh, have a sense of belonging and trust in their learning communities. So when we don't trust the adults that are around us, that's going to be, it's, you know, very difficult for students to be able to engage with the learning content in meaningful ways, let alone to develop their social and emotional skills in healthy ways. So if teachers look at SCL and they say, there's only one thing I can do, what I would say is like focus on building relationships with students. Yeah, so, so important. So you've written two books for educators. Is that correct? That's right. Great. And your second one is um, entitled Teaching with the Heart in Mind. And the word heart is in all caps. Please explain the significance of that for us. Sure. So HEART is an acronym for five essential social emotional skills. So H stands for honor your emotions. E stands for elect your responses. A is apply empathy. R is reignite your relationships. And T is transform with purpose. And those five competencies uh, provide a roadmap for how you can bring SEL into the classroom. And when, you know, through the years of working and consulting and helping educators and schools with social emotional learning, I realized that th there was a gap in how frameworks were created. Um, and one of the things that I thought was missing is these, um, as, as you notice, each one of those uh, skills has a verb. So it indicates an action, a way that you can put that skill into practice. And I wanted to make it very uh, tangible for teachers to understand, okay, this is what SCL means, right? This is what I have to teach. This is what I have to practice as an educator. And this is how I can bring SCL into the classroom. Part of Senya and part of why people like to attend Senya conferences and just network with each other is to have some takeaway strategies 
that they use right away. Do you have any that you could um, share with us today? Sure. So just as a general framework, there are three main strategies to bring SEL into the classroom. Um, so the first one is to teach these skills explicitly. And that's something that for special education teachers, probably that's not news. They have been doing this all along, right? We had our social skills groups. We had like all these strategies that we have been teaching, you know, neurodiverse students for a long time. Um, what the SEL field realized and, um, you know, much later is that actually all students could benefit from that explicit instruction, right? So SEL is a, a universal strategy for all students. So that's the first part. The second part is being able to integrate SEL in teaching practices. And that means that when educators look at how they teach in the classroom, they are identify ways in which students can use and practice these skills in a supportive environment. So to give you a specific example, if teachers only did lectures, for example, that would not be an appropriate way to engage students' social emotional skills because it's very much unidirectional. But when you have strategies like project-based learning or classroom discussions, or um, feedback loops. Those are strategies uh, through which students can use their uh, social emotional skills and can practice so they can internalize the skills and truly develop them. And then the third strategy is to integrate with academic content. So for example, um, in mathematics, that is a subject that triggers so many emotions for students, right? And we don't talk about the emotions that math generates for students. And I can tell you that growing up, um, for me, math was kind of like the least favorite subject. And many times I told myself, I'm not a math person because it, I didn't see the application. I didn't see, as a, especially as a, as a girl and as a woman, I needed to see how could I use math to solve a problem or to help others, right? But that's not the way that math was taught to me growing up. So when teachers are able to connect those, that academic content with the emotions that generates in students and acknowledge that it's okay to, to feel um, anxious when you are faced with a multi-step uh, math problem, for example, and normalize the fact that we are going to have emotions about the different experiences we have as a, in, in our lives as students, as educators, then you have that data that you can work with. Then we are telling students, oh, it is okay to have those emotions. And there's something that we can do about it. We can process, we can co-regulate, and then we can, you know, address the task that we have in front of us. So there are many um, strategies, and I talk about this in the book, to bring emotions into the, the, the academic content in a way that is supporting students' learning and educator effectiveness. Um, and then the last thing that I would say in terms of um, SEL is that SEL is not just about the students, and that's a big misconception in the field. Um, 
if we for educators is so important that they also pay attention to how they are bringing these skills to life in the classroom, how the clarity that they have on how they connect with their own emotions, how, what are the choices that they make, how they manage the stress, and how they build relationships and support each other in order to, to be in the profession for the long term. So as, as the audience is listening to how can they bring SEL um, to live in their classrooms, such a big part of it is for the educator to really engage in the process and make sure that they are modeling those skills for students as well. That's perfect. Thank you. I have quite a few takeaways from what you um, just shared. The first is I wish I had that type of math instruction back when I was in school because I was the same, same exact as you. Um, just so many emotions that, that um, partnered with any time I entered a math classroom. Uh, the second is that once again, we, we discover that what we do for students with special education needs is it benefits all students. It's that whole universal design uh, for inclusion and learning. And thank you for validating that point uh, yet again. Well, Dr. Martinez, I think that's all we have time for today. So thank you so much for your time and your passion on this topic. And we really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for stopping in to our Senya Happy Hour. Don't forget to head over to senyainternational.org slash podcasts and check out our show notes from our discussion today. We at Senya hope you are enjoying these podcasts. There is so much to explore and we're at the very beginning, so feel free to drop us a note and let us know what you'd like to hear more about during your next Senya Happy Hour. Until then, cheers!